Okay, so uh, welcome everybody. This one is the first Q&A I believe I'm doing on this channel, in this format at least, and I'm here with Dave McConey. Dave, how are you doing? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it was a great idea from you to do that. And just as we were chatting before the recording, um, we both get quite a few questions from people that follow us on Instagram or on YouTube. And this way, by saving them up and actually answering them on a Q&A, we can actually be helpful to more people at once. So that is a good idea. Yeah, I've had even like since like the start of my podcast, I had people send questions and I saved a lot of them thinking I'll make a whole video on this. But looking back at some of the ones I saved, I was like, you know, this isn't, you know, to make a whole video, I feel like I would just kind of be like dragging it out. You know, some of these can be answered in like a couple minutes. And to your point, like, you know, doing a Q&A, it's like, okay, a lot of people benefit because you and I'm sure I've answered dozens and dozens of DMs about people's questions, which is fine. Uh, but it's kind of, I mean, I remember like Lane Norton said that he'll debate people, not because he wants to change their mind, but hopefully the people reading get a benefit. And for this, it's like, you know, hopefully we help that person, but obviously, you know, hundreds, if not a few thousand people are going to listen to it. And then, you know, they benefit as well. Yeah. And maybe just some encouragement. So don't be shy to send us questions. Uh, you may not get an immediate answer, but it will be answered eventually because uh, we will save them up. Yeah. So the first question, actually, uh, I wrote up kind of a bonus question for the beginning. And this is, if there is one question that I get more than any other, it's uh, whether someone should cut or bulk. It's like, hey, Abel, sorry to bother. <laughs> just a, Or sometimes just a picture, cut or bulk, that's it. So um, do you think it's possible to put it into words? Like, what are you looking for when advising someone to cut or bulk? Like, what are the main features that you're looking at on a, on a physique? Because maybe that can help some people. If they look in the mirror, they will have an easier time actually deciding what to do. Yeah, I mean, literally, like, I don't want to say every client, but almost every client of mine has this back and forth of like, what should I do? And it's funny, like I'll see in my clients, you know, I probably attract that type of personality, like the neuroticism that I had when I was getting started myself, you know, it's like, well, I'm too skinny. So I want to bulk, but I have these love handles or I have this, this, and I want to cut. And like, I do understand that. I mean, it sucks. It sucks to be in that position. So I, I understand like, you're just never happy with how you look. Um, I, I think there's a lot of factors that go into it, obviously, like, have you recently cut? How's your relationship with food? Are you doing a sport? How old are you? You know, like, you have like a 15 year old, like, hey, like, can I cut down? It's like, you, I really regret spending a lot of my high school years cutting. So I rarely, unless you're like really overweight, would I recommend somebody at that age cut? Um, but since obviously, you know, we can make a whole video on this and I'll, you know, we'll get to your answer, but I would just say my like main thing I would tell people is that whatever you do decide, stick with that at least for like three or four months. I mean, preferably longer, especially if you're bulking, but you know, while there's going to be a lot of factors we can talk about that determine if it's probably the right time to cut or bulk, I see so many people where it's just like, okay, I've decided I'm going to cut two weeks later, man, I just need so much size. I think I'm just going to bulk. Okay. I'm done cutting. It's so stupid. I'm done cutting time to bulk three weeks later. Oh my God. I hate how fat I look time to cut. I mean, it's, it's like insane. Like it, it actually seems like a crazy person <laughs> messaging me. And it, you know, I would just say like, if you can just get in your head, just realize neither one is going to be great the whole time and just pick one. And like, don't even bring up the question. If you have a coach, don't even bring it up again for a few months. If, if you don't have a coach, even more reason, just, just, this is what you're doing. 
and do it for at least three months, then reevaluate because the back and forth is just the worst. Yeah. The worst one is actually when people ask me about their body fat percentage, uh, because early on, probably I could have given them an answer that would have made them happy. But now that I have a, I guess, clearer picture of, okay, what does 15% body fat actually look like? Or what does 12% body fat look like? Usually the answer is never going to be quite as good as what they would hope for. So a lot of hearts. Yeah. And like someone is making great progress during a gaining phase. And I'm like, nah, I don't know. I mean, probably you're approaching 15%. It's like, oh my God, I really hope that I would be only like 11%. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, for, for all you know, it might as well be 11% because that's, you're just looking at the midsection and that looks good. So I think you can still gain quite a bit more. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just so many things. So yeah, relationship with food. So many times the easy answer is, is when you're just looking at someone's physique and you have to make a call. But when some, someone follows it up with, I've been perma cutting a lot and now I don't know what to do or something like that. It's like, man, I mean, even if from an optimality standpoint, maybe cutting would be your best option. It's just really hard to actually advise. So it can be a, a tricky thing. But I would say that from a, an appearance perspective, the um, like in the cases when I say, okay, definitely go into a gaining phase, I'm looking at the midsection, yes. So some decent app definition, that's a good indication that you're lean. But also typically, like most guys, when they're actually lean, they will have pretty lean shoulders and chest as well. Uh, like their waist will be pretty tiny. Like there won't be like a, a lot of kind of love handle action going on there. So that's kind of a few things that I'm looking for. And in the cases when I'm like, okay, definitely cuts, usually app definition is, is minimal. And also like the shoulders, the chest, the back as well. Like that's, uh, that's, it's kind of getting to that fluffy kind of squishy point. So kind of that, that's what I'm looking at. So it's not very helpful, but that's, that's kind of my general heuristic. Do you have any, anything else that you're looking at? Well, I also would just add that like, asking like what body fat percentage I'm at is just like such an irrelevant. Like I understand the reasons like to get like a baseline, like that's fine, I guess. But like, to me, you know, some people have these rules like, okay, cut until 8% bulk until whatever, 18% and then repeat. And it's like, that's going to be so individual. And like, who cares? Like, what if you're a football player? Why would I tell you to stop bulking up at 18% bulk to 25%? Like if that's like for your sport, like, and you are trying to gain as much muscle as possible, but still being a competitive athlete, then, you know, people want to get into like, Oh, but like my insulin sensitivity and like my, the P ratio of what I gain. And it's like, you know, you can, you can break it down into that, but I've never in my life seen like a football player or a power lifter, anybody say, Oh, you know what? We really need to like cut you down because you're not at optimal body fat to gain strength. It's like you get as strong as possible and as big as possible in that situation. I, I really have not like, big on the idea that just because you're a higher body fat percentage, you're not going to be able to gain muscle. Like what real world examples do you see of that? I mean, it just doesn't exist. Like the most muscular people in the world, as far as like total muscle mass have higher body fat percentage, you know? Um, yeah. What's the mountain's name? Uh, uh, Thor or half Thor. Yeah. Half Thor Bjornsson, right? Like, yeah, man, like you got to stop bulking up for that. 500 kilogram deadlifts just not gonna work unless you cut down first i mean it's, it's kind of ridiculous to me yeah yeah definitely probably it's just a case of uh your muscles are more visible when you're leaner so it's easier to gauge but other than that 
anyway, and, and when I say all this, I'm ignoring like health and, and things like that. You know, there's other factors I'm just saying, like from a muscle gain standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. So next question is basically, so I talked about kind of auto-regulatory eating in the past, which is just a fancy way of saying not tracking calories, which I guess you're doing for most of the year as well. At least the last time I heard you talk about this, you said that when you're cutting, you like to track because water retention and funky things that happen to your body uh, just uh, would make it more stressful if you didn't track. So, but then someone asked, what about autoregulatory training? So could you kind of freestyle your training a bit uh, the same way as you're freestyling your eating? Um, and I think that's an interesting question. So what do you think about the, the idea of not, not tracking your training that meticulously and just varying things up when you feel like it? Um, what do you think about that? So uh, people have to understand, like, I'm a very meticulous person like i track everything that is not helpful for like the goal like i just like to see the numbers so you know right now i actually am tracking my calories but it's also not stressful for me at all like but you know like right now i could not record my workouts anymore and i'd be fine because i've been around the same strength for a long time but i like to see the numbers i record everything um but i could really back that down because again i'm more or less maintained at this point if you are trying to gain as much as possible I mean, I think auto-regulation in general is, is fine. Um, I wouldn't, to say like to go in, like obviously there's every level of this, you know, you could just say somebody say, well, I just go by feel, okay, are you just doing auto-regulatory training or do you, are you just like lazy and don't have a structure and you go in and you train chest three times a week and biceps three times a week, you know, like there is every degree of this you could have. But I, I think that if you understand basic principles, I mean, it's kind of like you wouldn't tell a new dieter, hey, like, you know, we're going to just completely do all your auto-regulatory eating, that's probably not going to work for somebody who has no idea of anything related to nutrition, right? Like you have to understand principles first. So if you understand the principles of progressive overload and adequate recovery and things like that, you probably can somewhat, you know, have it not have a completely structured routine as long as like you're keeping certain things. Okay. You're not ignoring total, like full muscle groups, you know, you're not going in there just saying, well, I kind of want to do this today. So I'm just going to do this. As long as you're focusing, Hey, I did back last time. Okay, let's do chest this time. Okay, I'll do legs next time. And you you kind of have an idea of the weights that you've been using and you're still progressing. I'm sure you could do it. If somebody said to me, hey, you have a year to put on the most muscle on this person possible, I wouldn't do it that way. But I'm, I'm sure, I mean, most people don't have a set training routine and a training log. So obviously it works for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, the easy answer is, can you do it? The answer is, obviously you can. I mean, it's uh, if you had to train in a, di in a different gym for the next year, so you wouldn't be able to compare your progress week to week and things like that. Could you still build muscle? The answer is, yeah, obviously you could. The, the question is, would we still, or would we actually recommend you to do that? And the answer is no. And it's mainly because Having a plan, so having a set structure, having rep ranges that you work with, working with the same exercises week to week, like the main point of that is basically to evaluate how effective your program is. Because really the main challenge is keeping progression as linear as possible or making it as linear as possible over the weeks and months. So if progress is not good, then and, and you have a set structure and you're keeping a log, 
then you're immediately able to spot like, okay, what went wrong? So you can modify something. And if you're changing up a lot of things, that's going to be more difficult. So like at this point, my strength progression is kind of a little bit hit and miss because I think I maxed out on a lot of lifts and on a few, I actually don't really want to go heavier, not unlike you, because I don't know, I just... Um, I just feel like, man, I'm going to tear a pack at some point or I'm going to dislocate the shoulder or something. So I'm kind of just like adding reps, sometimes go back and, and just do higher reps, even though I was still gaining strength with an eight rep target, let's say. So I actually vary up a lot of things. And I think the things that you could vary up week to week are the number of training days you have. So I don't think there is any issue with training five days a week, some weeks, and then four days a week on other weeks. I think you can, the order of exercises, you can play around with that a lot. You can move certain exercises over to a different day if you just don't feel like doing it. So I think with these ones, you could play around. Um, the things that I wouldn't change up a lot are your exercises that you do regularly. So if you do a lot of new exercises week to week, then you're just going to have a, have a really hard time actually tracking whether you're improving or not. And also anytime you introduce something new, unless it's some soup, like a leg extension where it's not a lot of technical learning that you have to do, then basically you're just going to start adapting to new movements neurologically. So that's probably not a very good thing. So yeah, but I think number of training days, exercise sequencing, even rep targets to a reasonable extent, I think you could vary those up quite a lot um, as long as you don't go bonkers with it, basically. All right, so um, next question was interesting. So basically the gist of this question is that they try to kind of transition into a healthier lifestyle. That's not the way they've worded it, but they were kind of um, off the rails for a while they lost some structure and they want to return to kind of good habits, eating healthier stuff, but um, everything just feels so tasteless and healthy food just doesn't taste like anything and uh, how to how to deal with this issue. Um, so so what do you think about this? I think this, this is actually a big challenge for a lot of people. So just to clarify, this is somebody who is getting into this lifestyle now and their I, main struggle. Go ahead. I think they were in it before and they went off the rails for a long time and they were eating a lot of tasty stuff and now they want to start eating veggies again, but it just tastes like cardboard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know, you know, this person's like body fat or anything like that, but I would say for one, if your one of your goals is to lose fat, inevitably, like over time, I mean, there's a few factors here. Even if you don't lose body fat, even if you're just maintaining, you just want to be quote unquote healthier, eventually you're going to desensitize yourself a little bit, or really resensitize yourself to the taste of that food. So that food that's like a five out of 10 right now is eventually start, if, if you're not continuing to have, you know, we've kind of talked about this able with the refeed situation, you know, the issue of having these super palatable foods, if you remove those, eventually the less palatable foods will become more palatable. Number two, if you are dieting, then those foods are definitely going to be tastier over time because everything is going to become more appealing as you diet. And then three, I know some people say that about, you know, like, oh, the healthy food doesn't taste good. And it's kind of like a cliche answer, but you can make healthy food taste really good. I mean, there's a healthy, if you're sticking to like certain things, doesn't necessarily have to be like always low fat or always low carb or, you know, whatever. I mean, 
if you saute, like, I don't know if you say, okay, chicken and broccoli. I mean, yeah, you could microwave that and it could taste like crap, or you could put garlic and onions and a bunch of spices in a pan and saute that up with olive oil, get some chicken, maybe sprinkle a little cheese. I mean, that's like a restaurant meal. So, uh, I mean, there are some people who are like really at the extreme who just don't find anything but like pure junk food <laughs> enjoyable, in which case at some point you just got to, you know, practice not doing that. But I think you can make some healthy food really good. Yeah, I mean, uh, what you said, so over time, you're going to find them more appealing as you get leaner. So it's almost like just getting your foot through the door, which is the hardest thing for a lot, a lot of people. I actually have a funny story about this just to illustrate how much your taste buds can adapt to something. So at one point, I was using so much sweetener that Diet Coke actually didn't taste sweet to me anymore. Like, like Did actually... <laughs> no, no, <laughs> but, <laughs> but but honestly, it would wouldn't have been uh, remarkable for my behaviors at the time. But no, I was I was uh, that's when I was doing this keto cut, and um, so I was eating very low carb. So I was having a lot of kind of sweet cravings. I really wanted to eat fruits and stuff, but I couldn't because you know not part of the diet. So I was always drinking these teas like just warm teas, whatever, with some cinnamon flavoring or something. But I would add so much sweetener to it that uh, like my taste buds were just so desensitized to anything sweet that, yeah, I tried Diet Coke and it's like, what? Like, am I actually drinking the right thing? Like this has no no taste whatsoever, which is pretty incredible that you can get to that place because now it would taste sweet. So, um you know, if you're in that position, just know that it's not a permanent thing. So eventually, like fruits will start feeling taste again. Sweet potatoes will start feeling taste again. So one thing I actually want to do a video on this is uh, that guy you, who you sent me, George Lehman. That's his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. George he Lehman, yeah. He actually gave some really good fat loss advice. So he was talking about his 100 pound uh, fat loss diet. And he said that one of his biggest tips is, look, as you're going, like, as you're transitioning into a healthier lifestyle, if you've been overeating on all kinds of processed crap, it's going to feel hard no matter what you do. So you might as well go into it harder, lose a lot more weight initially, and it will also help you to reset your taste buds. So just do whatever, a month of just freaking chicken breast and, I don't know, lettuce, like yeah, you're going to hate it, but you would hate a giant fruit salad with low-fat cottage cheese as well, which we would actually like. So um, so that that might be actually something you want to try out. Just go into a, like a super bland diet for a while, and then when you switch back to something more kind of reasonable, it will actually taste pretty good. So Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely somebody who has been on the extreme and even still like i don't know I, I find that i can go back and forth pretty easily but like if i'm having junk like my friends in college used to joke that like nothing was too sweet for me like if i had a cup of oatmeal it was like eight packets of splenda plus like protein flavoring in there um if i have pizza it's not just already you know extra cheese and all that stuff i like to dip it in ranch and queso like i'm <laughs> disgusting so but even then i'll still enjoy like my regular food so i mean you can definitely get used to it yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. So next uh, topic is something that you're very familiar with. And uh, because you also interviewed, um, what's his name? Brian Haycock. So what do you think of the idea of deloading de your lower body uh, one week and then still training your upper body and then the other week deloading your upper body? And then once everything is deloaded, then just continue with training. I don't really know if I would see a point 
in breaking it up like that. I mean, I guess if you were kind of like, like this seems like a question that I would get from somebody who was like early on in a training who didn't want to take any time off from the gym. So they, this was like, Hey, I can still really push my upper body, but you know, and then the next week really push my lower body. I guess you could, you'd, you'd still get the benefits of deloading muscularly, but you might not get the benefits systemically. You know, I mean, you, you really don't have any week where you're just not, I mean, you're probably likely to push your upper body harder in that week if you're not doing lower and vice versa the next week. So you're taking two weeks to accomplish something that could be accomplished in one week and you're not really accomplishing it as well as it could be you know, I would just say, just do it in one week, get it over with and have full recovery, have full motivation to get back into the gym. And I mean, I think there's quite a lot of evidence, both anecdotal and research that shows that there's really not any downside to taking that time off for one week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, with that, I would definitely agree. I would also say that like, if you're someone who is really resenting deloads, I mean, look, I trained a thousand days uh, in one streak, never took even a day off most of the time, let alone a week. Wow. I mean, oh no, sorry, I'm lying. I went on vacation, so then I did. But um, okay, then only whatever, 600 days. So, I mean, you know, you can just auto-regulate your training and I mean, you can make it work without deloading. Um, but if you're like following a plan when deloads are like a regular thing, then I would agree, like you might as well just take that week off and actually get like, all your motivation back and also just kind of reset your mind a little bit. Um, but yeah, otherwise, honestly, I think you answered it pretty much. Yeah. I mean, and also, I mean, like uh, Berge would agree with this. And a lot of people would just say like implement a training style that doesn't require deloads. Like yeah. I train three days a week. Um, you know, even talking with Paul Canoe recently, like he just turned IFB pro Obviously, he's got great genetics and he's taking supplements and stuff. But before that, he looked fantastic. He trains six sets per body part per week, you know, and that's about what I was doing too for like a while now. And I was just telling you before we started recording, I just set for me a bench press, you know, personal record, lifetime personal record the other day. And I'm doing like three sets of bench a week and like three sets of inclined bench. Like, I don't think you need this extreme level. So I don't, why would I need deloads if I'm training three days a week? Now, sometimes I will take a little time off for other reasons, but it's not because I really need them. So you could always just implement a training style that doesn't require them. Yeah. Yeah. And since you mentioned that basically the next question is, um, how, like, when do you need to add volume to your program? Like, how do you know when it's time to add another set? Never. And this is actually something you talked about, <laughs> uh, on that uh, episode. Yeah, yeah. Hey guys, just a brief interruption. I want to let you know that round two of my group coaching service has now opened up. In this coaching system, you will get a customized training and diet setup tailored for your needs, detailed guidance on training progression and diet management, and you will be able to interact with me and other members of the group, both in written format and on calls during the week. And for a limited time now, you can hop on a call with me and we can talk over your goals and see if you are a good fit for this. So if this sounds interesting to you, then check the link in the video or show description below and you can book a call with me. But if you would rather just send an email, you can also do that. Also check out the show description for that. All right, that's it. Let's continue with the show. Um, so I say never, I mean, jokingly, but 
Oh, that's what you said. I didn't hear. I just thought thought you randomly laughed. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I said never. Um, so one of the points I made is, and this is pretty much exactly what I said on that podcast. Is I said, look, like some people will say, oh, well, you can't add weight forever, so you add volume. But to me, it's like, yeah, but you can't add volume forever. You can add volume less than you can add weight. Okay, I mean, if you're starting at 100 pound bench press for five reps over the course of your entire training career, you very, you know, you you certainly could gradually go up to like, let's say 300 pounds for five reps, you know, versus like volume. I mean, your average beginner routine, you know, is probably gonna have somewhere between, so not like first week, but like, you know, within a year, you're probably doing six to eight sets, right? I don't know that many people who are advanced who are doing like 30 plus sets for all body parts. Most people are doing 10 to 20 whether they're two years in the gym or like 20 years in the gym. So this idea that like, you're just constantly, you got to add volume over time. It, it's like so talked about, but I don't actually see that many people doing. That. I mean, now if you're talking like advanced powerlifters, yeah, sometimes these guys have these workouts that are like three hours long and everything, but even then their volume is not super high because their reps are really low. You know, as far as like bodybuilders, I, I just don't see that many doing extreme levels of volume other than, like specialization phases. And, and I've done that too, but at least, you know, my anecdote of this, I've said this a few times, I did a pull-up specialization phase. I was doing like 30 sets for back and I was doing like two to four sets for chest. And honestly, my chest and back were improving <laughs> similarly during that time. So um, do I ever add volume to a client's routine? Absolutely. But it's more like, because I start them quite low and see how they respond and then go from there. Um, I would say to try to give like a direct answer. If you are recovering, like you feel like you're recovering, your sleep is fine, your nutrition is fine, you're in a calorie surplus, but for a while now you haven't been gaining anything, I think it's very reasonable to try adding a set, adding a back offset, whatever, and seeing if over the next week or two that helps bump you up. I'm not in any way trying to say like the studies are wrong and adding volume doesn't help. It certainly can help. Uh, I, I just think the idea that it, doing all this extra volume is really going to be the long-term answer. I don't think that's correct. Yeah. And as you were talking, I'm, I'm actually trying to, I was trying to think back to when was a time when I actually had to add volume to someone's uh, routine because they were not progressing. And like off the top of my head, honestly, I just cannot really recall any instances. I do remember adding volume just because like, why not? Let's see if you can actually progress even faster that we did. But I honestly cannot recall any instances where it was like, man, okay, you're not going anywhere or not getting anywhere. Let's add some volume. Like I literally cannot remember. And um, like, for example, today I did this Insta live and someone asked me how, 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 how many sets I'm doing per week. And I did about around 12 sets for each muscle group. And they were like, oh, like so low for your advancement. And it's like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not that low. Like, could I do more? Sure. I mean, you know, you know this, I did close to 50 sets per week at one time, so I can tolerate a fuck ton more, but I just don't like, it's not like when, when you become an advanced person, your volume requirements just go up like twofold or something. So that's what I was saying to them as well, that if you put on the first 15 pounds of muscle doing 10 sets, it's unlikely that for the next 15 pounds, you will need 20 sets. So, uh, but, but have you observed that with yourself? So 
was there a time when you clearly can just recall that at that time you needed to make a jump in the the amount of volume you were doing? I mean, the only times I've done that are when I was using specific routines, like, you know, like pre-made routines that implemented increases in volume, you know, where it was like, mm -hmm. okay, for whatever reason. But even then, a lot of those the popular routines don't do that. Like, just thinking back to routines I've done, um, like Bill Starr's five by five was one like early on that I did a lot. There was like Wendler's five through one um, that does not incorporate increases in volume. HST by Brian Haycock does not incorporate uh, increases in volume. In fact, you're actually decreasing volume. I mean, a standard linear periodization is decreasing volume over time, right? Because I mean, not like long-term, but like in the mesocycle, you're starting with higher reps. So your net volume is going to be more and then you're adding weight and lowering reps. So you're decreasing volume. And like, that's a very normal way to go about progression for a lot of people. And then, you know, after like 12 weeks or whatever it is, you add five pounds, you go through it again. Um, so again, it, it's really a weight progression. So I, I can't, I mean, I'm sure there's been times where I've done like back offsets and stuff. Sure. But in general, it, it's not my method of progression or breaking plateaus. Yeah. And I mean, if you're doing six sets, or was there a time when you were doing more than than six sets? Like, uh, what was your highest volume phase ever? Uh, well, I've done, like I said, specialization phases where a, a given muscle group was getting 30 to 40 sets. Um, can't say. I, I've noticed like, like a strength benefit, you know, more from like a practice standpoint. Um, so, like, for instance, when I was going for overhead press of 225, within like a month, of stopping that routine, even though everything else was the same strength, bench press, like even other pressing exercises were the same. I probably lost 20 pounds off of my overhead press within like a month. Mm. Um, but like, I remember doing two or five for like three reps or something. And yep. then soon after that, I was doing 185 for three. And I was like, what the hell? But my bench press was the same. My tricep exercise, it was just because I was so used to like, you know, specializing in that movement. But from a muscle growth standpoint, um, yeah, I don't think it makes a huge difference, but yeah, I mean, I used to do higher volume. I mean, I've done, you know, 12 to 16 sets for a long time. I just, I never really noticed much of a benefit from it, to be honest. Yeah. And then to actually answer the actual question, which is when to add sets. Um, I mean, you know, like it, I try to leave that as a last resort because once you start doing more sets, it's kind of a longer term commitment. Like from now on, like you will be doing that at least for a couple of months or something. So, you know, we need some time to actually notice if that's doing something for you or, you know, if strength progression picks up again, then, um, then, okay, that's a good sign. Okay. That's what you needed to do. But usually before I add volume, I try to have some other methods to break plateaus so I will play around with the rep ranges a little bit, or sometimes I will switch out the exercise. If, um, if it's only one exercise that's stalling, if it's a whole muscle group that's stalling, then often that is a good indi indication that you need more volume. If it's just one movement, then just maybe switch the movement out or uh, just tr change the rep range, maybe implement some DUP, so multiple rep targets. Those are some things that I like to try and I kind of just leave the volume modification as a last resort and only if multiple exercises are stalling for the same muscle group. Alrighty, uh, what is the next question? Uh, yeah, so basically it's uh, something I've gotten a couple of times and 
it was sort of on the theme of um, how to bulk without tracking calories. Um, and so I think maybe we can generalize this a bit more and just talk about what are some good food choices to make when someone is bulking. And I like this question because this was a big struggle for me as well. So when you go from a cut to a bulk, like uh, how do you do that in a sensible manner so that you don't go off the rails uh, because of the looser structure? Do you have any any thoughts on that? So but like the general, the original question was how to bulk without tracking calories, basically. Um, yeah, yeah. I just find that like it's kind of this, it's almost the same question because if you're not tracking calories, but you're making it work, that means that you have a really solid kind of structure and food choices and, and things like that, because that's how you cut without tracking calories as well. But uh, the person was like, okay, I can do it when I'm cutting. So I can just eat veggies, lots of fruits, lean protein, and I'm losing fat. But like, what do I actually eat when I when I start bulking? Because uh, ev eventually I will be just bloated as hell from all the veggies. So if I want to get in more calories, like, what are some good foods to turn to? Yeah, the reason I asked that is because there's almost like two different ways to look at it. So I think maybe I'll, I'll leave the part to you as far as like the food choices, because you know, the obvious thing is like, okay, well, go with slightly more calorie dense foods, right? And like focus on, you know, just eat until you're satiated, but not until you're really full, um, you know, take out some veggies, add in some rice, things like that, which I think is is good. Um, because a lot of people, they won't be able to handle themselves. If they just go to like, kind of what we talked before, if you go to these super palatable foods, and you just finish cutting, a lot of people are going to have a hard time with that. I think, ultimately, like the main way I'm looking at it though is like scale weight. Um, now for some people looking at the scale every single day is problematic. I'm not one of those people. And a lot of people are fine with it. If you can kind of separate the numbers, you know, and not like tie self-worth or, or, you know, anything to that and understand it's going to be fluctuations. So for me, you know, I'll sometimes go right to the more palatable foods. Cause I don't really have that control issue. And as long as the, the scale, the weekly average is going up by whatever I'm looking for, half a pound a week, one pound a week, you know, I'm fine with whatever. And sometimes that will be, you know, I'll, I'll go a couple of days and I'll see, oh, okay, the, the scale isn't going up. I'll eat a little bit more. If the scale is going up too much, I'll eat a little bit less. As long as that average is kind of tracking up, it's fine. And that's like my main way of looking at it. But, you know, I'm sure you can touch on if you want, like, just slowly adding more palatable calorie dense foods. Yeah, um, basically, so I've been struggling with this for a long time. And kind of the best way I found around this is that you keep the same structure, at least initially, as what you had when you were cutting, but really you keep it up for as long as possible. And you're just adding things on top of that to getting more calories. Because the issue for many people with changing on the structure too much is for one, they just have no practice with it. So they're really used to controlling things in a particular way and their meals looking a certain way. But when it's all of a sudden the energy density is, you know, 1.5 or twice that of what it was before, then it's like, oh my God, what do I do now? So that's one issue. But the other issue is that it's really hard, especially if you don't track pretty closely, it's hard to make small changes in calories. So if you're tracking things closely, then you can just add you know, 200 calories or even like 50 calories if you're really precise. But if you're changing up your food choices a lot, then all of a sudden it could be like 500 to 1000. So if you go from eating fruits, like a fruit salad to eating, you know, porridge, 
like oatmeal or something like that, like that, that's a massive difference. So that's why I generally like to, okay, so the meal looks the same. So let's say I still have a salad, but maybe I add some cheese, which I didn't add before or, or something like that. So that's, that's kind of a good way to go about it. That, that's my best tip, honestly. Yeah, no, I think, I think, you know, ultimately it's like, okay, calories and then everything else is just <laughs> some way to either track calories, you know, indirectly or you know they're looking like surrogate markers but ultimately it's okay are you going to track your calories that's pretty much going to be the answer if not okay can we go by like you know food volume or scale weight or something ultimately we're just looking for ways to control and for some people that's why if it fits your macros works so well for other people they just can't handle it they can't have some of these foods in the house uh, and then it's kind of more like what you talked about of like you know just this gradual ramping up of the food choices yeah yeah exactly uh all right so the next question was basically um if i understood it well so i hope the person who wrote this will listen to this and then maybe he can or she can correct me uh he because it's it talk, talks about eight percent body fat i hope that's not a sheet then so um do you think it's viable to do uh, like a very short cut for like uh, two weeks or something, basically every, every few months, instead of doing one long cut and go from, say, 14% body fat all the way down to 8% body fat? So, you know, so you shortcut a long period of maintenance in between, shortcut again, and that's how you go down to, you know, six percentages of body fat lower than what you are now. Do you think that's a viable way of doing it? I don't know. Um, <laughs> we've actually talked about this before. Actually, I think it was the podcast with Steve Hall and you know, like the first time I had you guys on together. And I tried this my junior year of college. And I'm not saying just because it didn't work for me, it can't work for anybody. Um, like, let's say somebody who's like two years into lifting does this. Yeah, it's going to work because probably everything's still going to work. <laughs> but, you know, I was kind of tired of like constantly like bulking and cutting, whatever. I mean, because you know, by that point, it's been like eight years. And I said, okay, so I, at the time, I was like 175. And I'm just gonna like cut down to like 170. Basically, I wanted to keep my range smaller. And instead of bulking from, you know, up to 18% and down to 10 18%, I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna do smaller cycles, I'll do 10 to 14, 10 to 14, whatever. So I went from like 175 to 170, did that in like a month. Then I took some time and slowly got back up to 175 and et cetera, et cetera. And I did this for like half a year. Now in the previous two years, my freshman year, I netted seven pounds at the same leanness after bulking up like 25 pounds and cutting back down, netted seven pounds. The next year, sophomore year, I netted eight pounds. So, I mean, I was doing really well, you know, within my first two years of college, third year, I try this method and I gained zero. Now, obviously I'm going to, I probably would have gained less, right? Maybe it would have been seven, eight, five if I did it the other way or four, but I mean, I, I netted zero. Um, and I, I think, excuse me, <clears throat> I, I think that there's just, you know, I don't know if we know why. I mean, some people talk about like um, cementing the gains, holding the gains. Uh, Cody Hahn has some research showing that there are different types of hypertrophy and maybe, you know, we get the sarcoplasmic hypertrophy first and then the myofibrillar hypertrophy comes later. 
I'm not saying that that's like proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, but it really seems, I mean, I've even seen somebody like Shelby Starnes, who's like a, you know, professional bodybuilder trains, professional bodybuilders who used to say, well, muscle is muscle. I can't see any reason why that would be the case. And then later he changed. He's like, no, like, you know, my experience is now that like, that's not the case. And there's something to like solidifying the gains. So I, I really, really don't think that it's, it's the best way to go about it. And I am in favor of these longer, bulks even it doesn't have to be like a like a dirty bulk it can be a slower bulk but taking six at least six nine twelve months and really putting on that size um yeah so i mean i i agree with that and there was good information however <laughs> but i didn't interrupt because um it was it was actually very informative but the, the question actually was you do that during cutting so you cut maintain cut maintain so like you're actually trying to get leaner in this case so you want to go from like 14 percent to eight percent he just doesn't want to do one long cut but wants to like uh just it's, it's basically like it's it's like a mega huge diet break so it's it's almost right, like right yeah, yeah 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 you're doing much more breaking than actual dieting in this case <laughs> okay well then i apologize but you guys just got a great story so hopefully <laughs> yeah. from it. um yeah i mean kind of like you said, that like that's like a, that's a lot of breaks. <laughs> I mean, you could do it, but it, it almost it's like some of these guys who would talk about these like year long diets, you know. And, and I think some of them just did it to experiment. But it's like at some point, are you, like is the reason because you just hate cutting so much, or is it because you think it's going to retain more muscle? Like I don't think it's going to retain more muscle to like, or at least I don't think the net result is going to be more. Like maybe you could have maintained a little bit more muscle by doing it that way. But if you had just finished the cut four times faster, you could have gone back into a gain phase, you know, and gotten all that back and more. So um, I'd say you couldn't do it. I mean, certainly you, you could, but I would just kind of wonder why did they say like what the benefit they were hoping to get from it? Or they just said, could you? Yeah, basically it was, it was just, um, could you do it if, if I understood it properly? Um, yeah, yeah. You do whatever you want, <laughs> you know, but yeah, I, I don't think it'd be ideal. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, um, it's, uh, if you really hate the process of cutting and especially if you're doing this because you think you're going to get some like mental benefits out of it, then maybe I'm just assuming this because of the nature of the content that I tend to put out. Some people come with ideas like this, like, okay, so can I get shredded and, preserve a, a healthy relationship with food and um, not develop an eating disorder in the process and not go off the rails once I get get uh, lean, then maybe what you want to do is do this just on a smaller scale. So, you know, don't diet every few months. Do that, you know, like do, you know, six weeks on, two weeks off or four weeks on, two weeks off. Some Something kind of in the middle, which, you know, you will still get to your to your actual goals before to 2030, you know? So practice maintenance. I think that's, you know, if I'm hopeful about something related to diet breaks, it's, it's the practicing maintenance aspect. So, all right. So actually we're almost through. So let's, uh, let's just look at this one and then we will see how we do on time. So, um, yeah, basically the question was like kind of weird, but it was, uh, do you think that because you can only utilize so much protein per day. So basically, uh, you know, let's say it's two grams per kilo per day. Then um, does this mean that it would be better to train more frequently 
and with lower volumes per session instead of doing less frequent higher volume sessions that are more intense because those would actually require more protein um, and you probably cannot build quite as much muscle because you just cannot supply that much protein and your body just cannot produce that much growth in one day as what that would require to recover from that session does the question make sense i can try try to say it again so you're saying because you can only accumulate so much protein in a given day that would be a reason for it yeah i mean he talks about like protein utilization so i'm assuming it's like like protein turnover like your your body can be in such a big uh positive protein balance per day so then it's, it's probably better to train more frequently and less volume per day I mean, that's, that's one of the major reasons people talk about higher frequency, right? I mean, they say that you're only, you're going to be done recovering within and recovering being multiple things, right? So, you know, recovering from like the muscle damage, the, um, protein utilization, the, I mean, your sleep debt isn't really going to be a factor that much there, or at least it's not going to be super related to that one factor, but, um, that is one of the reasons that people will talk about it. You know, they'll say protein synthesis is increased for in a, somebody who's new 48 to 72 hours um, is, is what's quoted a lot, at least uh, for somebody who's really advanced, it might be even less. So, and there you get into this kind of dichotomy where some people will say somebody is more advanced needs higher frequency because each stimulus is not going to do as much. So they need a higher frequency. And other people will say, no, people who are advanced, they're doing so much damage in a session because they're so strong and they need all that volume that they will need maybe like five or seven days between. So you do have those camps. Um, but in general, yes, I'd say that's a reason to argue for higher frequency. Now, ultimately, do I think it's going to make a huge difference? Not really. Um, but I do think almost all the evidence is for a higher frequency, meaning higher like two to three times a week instead of once a week. Yeah. Yeah, and honestly, I think uh, the, the benefit of higher frequency mainly just comes down to volume allocation and, and just fatigue management and energy management, motivational management per session. So um, I, I just like to have shorter sessions. And, um, you know, if I was only doing six sets per week like Dave, then probably I would train less frequently. But even to get in 12 sets, I just really even four sets for a given muscle group. Um, especially for more demanding muscle groups like thighs, I would rather just do like two sets or, or you know, if I was to condense it a lot more, like doing six sets per session, like uh, sometimes I do it, but I just don't love it. So I think that's the main benefit that your energy and attentional focus will be better. But as far as like, the, you know, protein requirements, I mean, that, that just seems very speculative. And it's also, you know, if you have a higher volume session, you will stimulate growth for longer, basically. Like that's why now we are kind of finding that it's um, it's not needed to stimulate pro muscle protein synthesis each day or very frequently because if you have if you do a more voluminous session, that growth is gonna be prolonged, and then you're still going to be repairing that damage and actually. Um, the manifestation of that session is going to be prolonged for multiple days. So then you're just going to use more protein on other days as well. So I wouldn't really look at it on a 24 hour basis or, you know, just only in training days. Um, so yeah, I mean, basically there are like two more questions, but I think we can actually s skip them for now. Cause, um, okay. 
they're kind of weird anyway. So yeah, I think this was uh, pretty productive actually. So, so yeah. Um, do you have any cool story to share for the end for some laughter <laughs> to the to the viewers? Say well, something I'll cool, tease, something funny. Just kidding. I'll tease my upcoming video um, on the bench press because um, I mentioned that like bench press record again, just like a personal record of uh, repping out to twenty five. So I've had like much higher one rep maxes, but uh, going for reps now, this was the most I've done. So um, the obviously say so the record was set two weeks ago and at the last minute my dad touched the bar um so we don't talk anymore you know we, we don't have a relationship at this point so unfortunately it's that's severed for life but uh i will go into a video as far as uh what i did to rectify that so just a teaser there um yeah. Oh, yeah. I was going to have a follow up question on that, but then I realized that I would spoiler the video. Uh, so I'll just say it, <laughs> say it off air. Uh, yeah. yeah. So we're looking forward to that one. And uh, yeah. Otherwise, where can people find you? Yeah. So uh, Brains and Gains. I think actually I might change my name to Brains and Gains podcast on Instagram and on YouTube. Actually, it's Brains and Gains podcast. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Website is drdavemaconey.com. 